If you have your Bible, son, let's go over to the book of John, John chapter 14. I would say it's fun to minister with someone you went to college with. I think that is a real blessing, those of you that have been away. And a lot of you may, as you get to know Pastor Gary, he was an incredible soccer player. And it looks like he could still do it. That's the sad part. So I obviously do not. But uh, you have a great pastor. You're going to just, I'm excited for you. And uh, it's great to be here with a good friend. And uh, just funny how in even the last several years, God just knit our hearts without knowing how all this was going to fall into place. And uh, it's just been, I agree with him, it's been a blessing already in the just short time we've had to talk. Um, I want to speak on prayer tonight. And I want to be honest, I tell people, but I tell you, if the message is on prayer or being a husband, I might as well walk forward right then because it's an area, those are two areas that I want to keep working on. They're areas that I feel that I have to keep uh, addressing. And I'm going to speak on one of those tonight, but just because I'm preaching on it doesn't mean I'm the great example, all right? So, in fact, I'll probably highlight failures of mine where I have had to keep learning in this area of prayer. Uh, but tonight I want to look at eight reasons your prayer life is not answered. And uh, I want to look at eight hindrances to prayer tonight. What hinders prayer from being answered? We asked several questions right off the bat. What's been the greatest answer to prayer you've seen so far? Just think about it. What's been the greatest answer you personally have seen so far? Secondly, how long ago was this? How long ago was the greatest answer to prayer you've seen so far? Number three, does God answer prayer? Now theologically, we know the answer to that is what? Yes, God does answer prayer. Number four, does God answer your prayers? Maybe as we talked this morning, you've gotten frustrated and said, I've been praying for something. It hasn't happened. I don't think he answers my prayers. I believe he answers prayers, just doesn't answer my prayers. I think maybe he answers Pastor Gary's prayer or or Pastor Jared's prayer or, or someone else's prayer, but I don't know if he answers my prayer. And then what I'd like to really focus in on is why does God answer prayer? And you're going to have to write this in, in your, on your side of your notes. John 14, 13, if you have a Bible. And if you have a Bible with red print, uh, that tells you that this is a quote from Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Whatever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The first reason God answers prayer is so that God gets the glory. And I would challenge you tonight that whenever it is a true answer to prayer, this automatically happens. When it's a true answer to prayer, you know you're not lucky. It didn't just work out this way. When it's a true answer to prayer, you automatically give God the credit. You go, there's just no way that happened except that God did that. The second reason God answers prayer is found in the next chapter. Go to John 16, verse 24. Next two chapters over. (laughs) My math is bad tonight, too. John 16, verse 24. Again, a quote from Jesus. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Second reason God answers prayer is so that your joy is full. Again, that automatically happens. When you get in a place where God answers prayer, he will get the credit. Your joy will be full. We just came through a situation. We had 10 inches of rain in two hours. There's no river that runs through our town. But we had four feet of water going down the street. And it flooded 11 of our buildings on campus six weeks before we had to open campus. Ended up doing $250,000 worth of damage. and And you just needed hundreds of people to show up. And there was no way that could happen except God did it. We, we prayed for God to do that, and he did it. And I want to tell you, God gets the credit, and our joy is full. And that will always happen when it's a true answer to prayer. So then what causes prayer to be hindered? I, I was an assistant pastor. If you're an assistant pastor, you want to preach. 
And if your pastor's really healthy, that never happens. And so uh, finally my senior pastor got sick and I got to preach. I was like, yes, that's so good. And then one day he came to me and he said, listen, you can do a Wednesday night series. And I said, a Wednesday night series on what? He says, you can pick. It's like, wow, I can preach a whole Wednesday night series. And so I decided to do it on prayer. And I got to the last two messages on prayer. And I did in two messages I'm going to do in one tonight. But we're going to go very quickly tonight. But I wanted to look at why does prayer not get answered? What, is there some common denominators when people say, my prayers aren't getting answered, I don't have a powerful prayer life? And it really stemmed from out of James where he says, Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. Think that through. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. Do you, do you have that much confidence in your prayer life? I mean, that, every time I read that, I'm like, That's, I'm not there. And so I studied what are the eight reasons in Scripture that God says your prayers are hindered. And I really believe this tonight. If I could, I don't have the time to do this, but if I could take the time to tell you what God did up at Meadowlands when starting with 10 people. People ask me all the time, why, why did God do what he did up at Meadowlands? We saw a church this size. We planted four churches. We saw, God, I saw, we saw hundreds of people come to Christ. I saw crazy stuff. I was given a brand new truck. We saw... Someone give us a million dollars and say, I don't want anyone to know where it came from. If I ever slowed down enough to write a book, it would be a great read like George Mueller. And every time people say, why did that happen? All I can say is prayer. I, I don't, it's not me. If you know me, that's not Jim. What we just came through in the flood, humanly impossible. How did that happen? Prayer. And God, when I finished this message, it changed my life in the area of prayer. And it's changed my life ever since. Have I always been great in these eight areas? Not always, but I want to challenge you. It's made me work on these eight areas because I want a powerful prayer life. I know what prayer could do. As I got to this, I'd preached the first half message. I had one message left, and I went away to a pastor's conference. I went to this pastor's conference. He said, we need to look at our facilities the way a, a, an unsaved visitor looks at them. And uh, he said, you know, our churches need to be a good representation of our God. And we were in a suburb of Chicago, and it was a white-collar, very uppity part of Chicago. And the church had 20 acres. On the right-hand side of us were the mansions in our town. I mean, the most beautiful houses, sprinklers pop up in the morning, everything immaculate. On the left-hand side was a medical center, incredibly landscaped. And our church had 20 acres. We had a gravel driveway, probably the only gravel driveway in the town. And it went to a gravel parking lot, and they had a parsonage. And if you know what a, you know, a parsonage, it's, it was a wonderful place, right? It was a 100-year-old farmhouse with the paint peeling off of it, a big tree in the front with a dead tree, bark peeling off. It looked like a haunted house. And to park in the back, you drove past, and we had a weed bed between the, the church building and the driveway, just solid weeds to the back. We had no landscaping. And it was like the first time I saw it. And I was like, wow, this is terrible. This is a terrible representation of our God. Our God's better than that. And I went to bed that night on a Friday night, and I said, God, please help us make our place look better. I was a college and career pastor, and the next day, three college guys said, hey, Pastor Jim, what are you doing today? And I said, I don't know. And they said, hey, let's cut down that big dead tree in front of your house. I said, hey, that sounds like a great idea. So we took us all day. We had to make sure it didn't fall in the farmhouse. That was a big job. And we got it all cut up. We hauled it all away, and just getting that tree out of there took away the haunted, spooky look. And we were like, wow, that looks a lot better. 
Saturday night, I prayed the same thing. Sunday night, I prayed the same thing. Monday morning, and I know I'm dating myself with answering machines. How many of you remember answering machines? All right. You know, if you had an answer machine, this little red light would blink and tell you how to message. And so I met with the pastor every Monday morning, came back to my office. There's a message on my answer machine. And this lady goes, hi, I'm from the local greenhouse. I'm wondering if you could come by. I'd like to donate some shrubs to your church. That's weird. I've been praying for this for three days. So I go over to get the pastor. He's not in. He never left Monday morning. If you knew me and my wife, my wife makes things live. I usually kill them. And so uh, I went over to get my wife, and she was gone. It was like God said, Jim, you prayed for this. You go down there. And I'm telling you the honest story. I drove down. I had a little pickup truck at the time. I drove down. This lady in front of a large greenhouse. I get out of the truck, and I said, hi, I'm Pastor Jim. I got your message. And she said, you know what? She said, I I feel really weird. I'm not really even sure how to tell you this. And by the way, this is not a Christian, and she'd never visited our church. This is my first time to meet this lady. She said, I feel really weird, but she said, for three days. Remember how long I've been praying? Three days. She said, I got up this morning, and I just, for three days, I had this feeling that I needed to call your church and donate some shrubs. And she said, I got up this morning, and I felt it so strongly, I thought God would kill me if I didn't call you today. And I said, well, ma'am, I didn't want anyone to die, but I've been praying for three days at our place to look better. I said, our place looks terrible. She says, I know, I drive by it every day. And so, <clears throat> and so she stood in front of her whole greenhouse and she said, what do you want? I, I said, I really don't know. I said, we have 100 feet, that's all weeds. We have no landscaping. She said, here, I'll take care of it. She took a pad of paper and started taking $200 piece shrubs. She said, have you ever thought about putting a hedgerow between you and anywhere? And I said, well, we thought about doing it between us and the medical center. And there was a whole section as big as both those pianos over there. She said, great, you can have all of that. That's, that's extra. You know those really, and I don't know if they have them here on the island, but in the United States on the mainland, they have a really long flatbed trail, and then it tilts down at the very end, super long. It filled that entire trailer and the back of a full-size pickup truck. And she, had her, she said, I'll have our guys deliver it. So she brought it all over, and pastor came out. He said, what in the world is this? I said, pastor, you won't believe this. I'm preaching on prayer. I've, and by the way, this is a Monday. So my last message is Wednesday night. And I said, I've been praying for this liquid, all this. And he goes, well, Jim, that's incredible. We're going to have to plant all that tomorrow. And so a family left our church, had a rototiller. I called him up. I said, hey, can I rent your rototiller? He said, you don't have to rent it. Just come get it. So I went over, picked up the rototiller. I tilled up that 100 feet all along the side of our church, tilled up everywhere we're going to plant. And the next day, Pastor and I started planting. And we'd been sitting behind a desk way too long. You know what I mean? It was as humid as it is here. I mean, it was 100 degrees Fahrenheit, but high humidity. And we're out there, and we are just dying. And a college guy calls me up. He says, what are you doing? I said, we're planting shrubs. Get over here. And so he came over, and he helped us. And we're digging away. And his mom came with Burger King. And this this is 20-some years ago. And the slogan of Burger King at the time was, I love this place. And I sat down, and, we, and the mom, his mom called and brought us three shakes. So we sat down in the stoop, and I'm drinking these shakes. We're exhausted. And I flipped that thing around and says, I love this place. And I said, God, I love this place. I want to see you answer prayer like this all the time. Man, I, I, this is real. And we were dirt poor as an assistant pastor and pastor's wife. My wife loves plants. You know what a hanging basket is supposed to look like? You know, it's supposed to have flowers that come over the top, come all the way down. Well, we were dirt poor, so she went to Walmart. It was like your Kmart here. Went to Kmart, bought a basket, filled it with dirt, and we had plants that stuck up that high. And we had a veranda on this old farmhouse. We had two of those. 
And she called my wife and said, hey, just kind of see how you guys like the shrubs. And my wife said, oh, they're amazing. She said, the pastors are planting them right now. She said, the pastors are planting them? I'm coming down. And so she drives up and and we are just soaked in sweat. And she gets out of her car and she's like, man, this looks amazing. But she said, you know what you guys need? You need some flowers. Can you come out to our farm? I'd like to donate some flowers to you. I said, sure. So me and little Faith hopped in my little pickup truck, drove out to the farm, and she gave us 300, uh, she gave us 200 $3 a piece geraniums. Her son walked out, family owned business. I said, Sir, I just got to tell you, I'm doing this. I'm a pastor, I'm preaching on prayer. This is the greatest answer to prayer I've ever seen. And he said, Well, do you have any tree bark for that stuff? I said, No. He said, See that pallet over there? He said, Take the whole pallet. And his wife said, would you like a hanging basket? I saw my wife would love one. She said, here, here's two for your wife. Here's two for the senior pastor. I have $60 a piece. Goes over to a Coke machine, hits out six Cokes. Here, take these back. And my wife called every friend she had, and we planted all of that stuff. You came to church Wednesday night. Our place looked different. And I got up and preached on my last half of what I'm going to do tonight on prayer. And I said then what I mean all these years later. If I want to play church, I'll stay home and do it with my kids. But when I come here on a Sunday, I want to talk to the God of the universe. The God who tells us there's nothing too hard for him. The God who tells us many times in the New Testament, pray. And he tells us some specific things to pray for, and he tells us what hinders our prayer. But you know the God of the universe wants to answer your prayers. Is that crazy tonight? He wants to answer your prayers, not just Pastor Gary's prayers. He wants to answer your prayers. And at the end, we didn't always do this on a Wednesday night, but I had an invitation. I said, if God spoke to your heart, just come and talk to the Lord. And the whole church came forward, including the senior pastor. I was 27 years old. I had no clue. I mean, they just prayed. I mean, I mean you, you could not walk into church that night and say, God, answer prayer. And God's getting the credit. Our joy is full. They all sat back in their seat. I closed in prayer. And just like this, they sat there looking at me, and I stood there looking at them. Minutes went by. You know what it's like when church is dismissed? Everyone's up talking. It's the only time in my life, I'm telling you, and I'm not a Pentecostal, but I'm telling you, you could feel the presence of the Lord that night. I didn't know what to do. There was no escape out the back, kind of like this. And so I had to walk down. I walked down the front. I walked out the aisle and stood in the, in the foyer. Nobody moved. No one said a word. Again, I'm standing alone in the foyer for minutes. A deacon comes into the foyer and says, you need to come back in here and give us part two. I said, I have no clue what part two is. I don't know. I don't know. That was, whatever just happened, that was amazing. But I want to tell you, it changed my life. And I believe with all my heart tonight, if you would take care of these eight things, it'll change your life too. Because God just doesn't answer Jim Tilton's prayers. He wants to answer all of our prayers tonight. So let's go very quickly. Eight hindrances to answer prayer. Number one, we don't pray. James 4.2, the Bible says, we have not because we what? We ask not. What prayer is to your spiritual life is what air is to your physical life, and many of us are dying for lack of breath. What if this should prove the true diagnosis of the ills and disabilities of the church and the Christian today? We will never pray as we should until we see it as a necessity, indispensable to the life we've undertaken to live. I work with college students. If you ask a college student if you can live without a cell phone, you know what they're going to tell you? No way. Got to have a cell phone. I, I'm serious about corn. You come to Iowa, it's corn. In Iowa, the corn is like you looking at the ocean. 
I, you, I know you can't believe this, but this is the gospel truth. As far as you can see, all you can see is corn. Our state's motto is fields of opportunities. That's on the, every license plate. And so, and I, I know you think I'm kidding. I am not kidding. Like if you go to Iowa, you, as far as you can look, all you can see is corn. And if you went to a farmer that's planting that big a field of corn and said, can you do that without a tractor? You know what that farmer's going to say? That's impossible. That's impossible. You'd kill mules trying to plant a farm that big without a tractor. Every tractor who plants that much corn says, you can't do that without a tractor. Do you know that's how you and I should feel about our spiritual life without prayer? If someone said, can you do your spiritual life without prayer? You know what your answer should be? That's impossible. But you know how many Christians, the only time they pray is before they eat their food? It's just a hurdle to get to their food. And if they're a good prayer, they might pray a list at night. And, they, and pretty soon that list is worthless too. You know what God says in James 4 too? You know why you don't have anything? Because you're not asking. You're not praying. I don't want to get to heaven and have God say, Jim, this is what you could have had if you just would have prayed. Man, I want to see God bless me now. And you know who else wants to bless me now? Our Heavenly Father. You know what it says in Matthew? If your earthly father knows how to give you good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father? But you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to ask. He wants you to talk to him. You know how weird it would be? I'm going to get home on Saturday. Do you know how weird it would be for me to walk in the house and not talk to my wife? In fact, you don't know my wife? That wouldn't fly at our house, right? My wife would not say, that's cool. My wife would say, hey, you've been away. You better talk to me. You know the number one reason we don't pray? We're too busy. Isn't that weird? I'm too busy to talk to the God of the universe. I got a lot going on. I got a lot of stuff happening in my life. I don't have time to pray to the God of the universe. And God says, well, if you don't pray, you won't have. You have not because we ask not. What if we're going to take into account our losses in the realm of spiritual things as we're able to do financial material? We'd undoubtedly be surprised and shocked to discover what tremendous losses we're suffering, losses traceable solely and directly to a lack of prayer. Number two, unconfessed, unrepentant sin. If you have a Bible, go to Isaiah 59, verses one and two. We gotta go quick tonight. Isaiah 59, verses one and two. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You have unconfessed sin in your life. God says your prayer life is hindered. He's not listening. We go to Psalm 66, 18. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. You know, some of you have some things and and you look good to everyone else, but maybe it's a secret pornography problem, an anger problem, uh, a greed problem, a pride problem, and no one else knows it's a problem, but you and God do. And we can come in church and pray, sing, oh, how I love Jesus. You can have all kinds of great prayers. And God says, you know what? Till you deal with that, I'm not listening. I think this is a way, if you're a married couple, this will help you understand it. Could you imagine if, if on the morning as I leave for work, I, my wife and I have a fight, and I just rip on her. And then I leave. Work all day, I come home after work, and you walk in the door, hey, honey, how's everything going? My wife would look at me and say, don't hey, honey, me. What about this morning? You know, my wife is saying, I want to make sure that's right first. Don't try and act like everything's fine. 
And you know how many of us have a sin problem we're not addressing? And then we act like everything's fine with God. And God says, your prayer life's hindered. We're all sinners tonight. But this is someone who's not dealing with sin. It's an excusing of sin. You and I are going to have to take God's side regarding our sin. Many a good prayer can't be answered by a holy God because of sin in the life and the heart of the one who prays. You've got to be right with God if you're going to have a powerful prayer life. Number three, you're not in the word. Go back to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, the Bible says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. All the promises in the Bible concerning answer to prayer involve finding the will of God in the word of God. Bible study and prayer must go hand in hand. I've had people say, well, I I don't read the Bible, but I pray all the time. You know what's wrong with that? The wrong person's doing all the talking. You go, man, I I don't read the Bible, but I pray all the time. Like, that's a really good thing. No, that's a really bad thing. And the Bible says, if you don't listen to the word, your prayer is an abomination to God. That's God's strongest word of dislike. You know, if you come to church and this is the best sleep you get all day, God says, your prayer life is hindered. By the way, on Wednesday night, my dad was in construction. When I was a pastor, I gave everybody a pass on Wednesday night. You've worked hard all day, you sit down, you're tired and, you know, it's warm and you just fall asleep. I used to tell people, if you fall asleep on Wednesday night, just keep your mouth closed, all right? Don't go, you know, it's super distracting, all right? So if you're going to fall asleep in church, keep your mouth closed. However, it's a different deal Sunday morning. You know how many people stay up way too late on Saturday night so they aren't able to worship God on Sunday morning? Say, how, how come you're so tired? Well, I was up till two or three in the morning watching a movie or playing games. You know what? I didn't put this in your Bible last night. If you have your Bible open, the Bible says you'd turn your ear away from hearing the law. Your prayer is an abomination. You need to come to church to pay attention. Do you believe God speaks through a preacher? Most importantly, God speaks through his word. Praise God for that. And when God's word is being preached, if you're ignoring it, if you're turning away from it, your prayer life is hindered. You know, I heard about the daily bread. It's a great place to start. Bad place to stop, but a great place to start. If you're not having consistent devotions, why do you think you're going to have a powerful prayer life? God says, if you're not reading, and again, the number one reason people don't read their Bible every day, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to hear from the Lord. Well, if that's the case, the Bible says in this verse, your prayer life is hindered. Bible study and prayer should go hand in hand. If all you do is pray, it's a one-sided relationship. For sake of time, if you want to look, write other verses down, you can look at Proverbs 1, 28, 33, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Uh, number four, wrong motives. Let's go over to James really quick. James chapter four. James chapter four, look what he says in verse three. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore, I'm sorry, back up to verse 3. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. If you ask for a prayer request just so you consume it on your own lust, God says I'm not answering that prayer. When I was a kid, I grew up on a farm and I prayed for a horse and I never got a horse. Never understood that till I was a parent. Why, horses don't do anything but cost you money, Right? you got to feed and take care of a horse. And now that I'm a, a college president, I've told the board, I think I should have horsepower, right? You put me in a Ford Mustang, I can get to meetings a lot quicker. And uh, you know what? That is just for me. 
Why do you want a husband? Why do you want a wife? Why do you want a certain job? Why do you want to live in that house? Is it just for you? If it's just for you, the Bible says that prayer isn't going to be answered. But if you're praying the right way and saying, no, I want, to, I want these things to be used for the Lord, and that's your genuine heart, that's the prayer that God's going to answer. But too many times we say, well, why didn't God answer that prayer? Because you were asking it to just consume it on you. It was just for you. It was a selfish prayer. Next, we see the reason, keep in mind, we're going through quickly. Number five, failure to forgive others. Take your Bible and go over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. By the way, if you can't keep up, you can just write these verses down. I'm not trying to frustrate you tonight. Mark chapter 11, look what he says here in in verse 24 and 25. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you'll receive them and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Bitterness is harbored hurt. And the Bible says we're all going to get hurt in life. And when you get hurt, you have two options. You can get bitter, hang on to it, or you can get better. And if you won't forgive, the Bible says God's not going to forgive you. Your prayer life is hindered. Because if God isn't forgiving you, then you have another issue. Bitterness is unconfessed sin, a point we already looked at. And I don't know about you. I've been bitter a few times. Bitterness is a sneaky sin. I mean, it sneaks up on us, and I remember I was preaching a series through the book of Hebrews, and I got to the passage where it says, beware of bitterness, spring up trouble, and many be defiled. And I did a lot of counseling at the time. I said, hey, I'm going to pull out some of my notes, and point number one, when you think of that event, does your teeth grind and your heart beat faster, or does the peace of God flood your soul? I failed. When you pray for that individual, do you pray that God blesses them or that God gets them? I failed. I had imprecatory psalms memorized, you know, like, God smite them. That's a good prayer. That's a prayer of bitterness. And I realized I was bitter. I had a guy who'd come and sit, usually over here. If you're over here, don't take it personal. But this person would always sit over here and give me the look of love every Sunday, right? Just hated me. And I was like, I can't leave. I'm the pastor. <laughs> you can leave. Why do you ca-? It was like an Olympic sport for that guy to come and hate on me every Sunday. And I had to start avoiding him because I'd look at him and then I'd lose. I, I got where I could only preach to this part of it because if I looked over there, I lost my concentration. And I realized that night, on a Monday night, that I, had not, I wasn't forgiving him. What he had done to my family was very wrong and hurtful. And I told my wife a long time ago, I, with God's help, I won't get in this pulpit and knowingly be a hypocrite. I'm not perfect, but I won't get up here and say something I refuse to work on. And Monday night, I said, I can't forgive him. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, 10 o'clock, I'm sitting at my kitchen table. I know I either forgive that guy or I can't preach tomorrow. And I broke, and I didn't break nice. I was like, all right, God, I'll forgive him. And then as God kept melting my heart that night, I got to the place and said, okay, God, I'm done. And those of you who have forgiven, that person doesn't change. It's amazing how God changes you. And I went in that pulpit, and I was totally free. I could look over, saw that same glare. didn't bother me. I tell people, and this is a great uh, point to tell whether you've forgiven, is it a wound or is it a scar? If it's a wound tonight, it hurts like fire. Now, I'm going to use a Canadian illustration, which in my pre-notes coming here, I was told to avoid, but I'm going to try and help you tonight. You're familiar with sand. Snow is like a lot of sand falling from the sky, all right? That's what snow is like. (laughs) Except it's like ice cube cold, all right? So 
If you've never seen snow, which is probably many of you, that's what it's like. It's like sand that's ice cube cold falling from the sky. And we get lots of it in Canada. And so with Canadians, when you get that much snow, you just got to make a fun event out of it. So we go downhill skiing. So we strap two boards on our feet and we go screaming down a mountain and it's a lot of fun. But on a huge mountain, when you're going that steep, if you go that fast, you'll kill someone or yourself at the end. So you have to slalom. You got to go back and forth like this. Well, I taught my three kids to ski. My oldest daughter had skied down ahead of me, and then there's a chairlift. You ski down at the bottom, and there's a chair that comes around, and you just sit on it, and it takes you up to the top of the mountain, and then you can ski down again. So she got in line at the bottom, and being a good dad, every good dad has to do this at some point in my life, I was going to bury my daughter in snow. So I purposely did not go back and forth. I came down screaming fast with the plan at the end to go sideways, And when you go sideways, you will shoot a fantail of snow. Now, if you're going as fast as I was going, I was shooting snow that would hit the back wall. That was how far away I was, which is a great dad moment. I was going to bury my daughter in snow. Except I was going so fast, I realized that I'm about to kill my oldest daughter. (laughs) Sideways, I'm going 80 miles an hour. And she's in front of me. Snow, she's screaming, snow's coming. But as I'm getting closer, I'm like, I'm going to take her out. And I had two options, kill her or go in the woods. I went in the woods and I broke my wrist. In Canada, healthcare is free. It's not free in the United States. And I, if you've ever broken a bone, you don't need to go to the doctor, right? You know that. That hurts like fire. And I came out and I thought, I'm on vacation. I'm not going to pay American prices. And so I'm going to just act like I'm fine. So I kept skiing. I got home that night. We got into the bedroom and I was okay to tell my wife, like, oh my word, this hurts. And my wife was like, well, why don't we go to the hospital? No, I'm not going to pay American prices. Well, why don't we go back to Canada? No, I'm not going to ruin our vacation because I was an idiot. I'm not doing that. And so for three days, I toughed it out. My wife only knew. And I would get up in the morning, my kid's like, hey, Dad, let's go do this. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Let's go do that. <laughs> and when I finally crossed the border into Canada, we did not go home. We went immediately to the emergency room. I walked in. He x-rayed. He came out. You broke your wrist. Like, no kidding, Doc. I know that. He says, we're going to put a cast on this, and it's a true statement. If you've ever broken a bone, where it heals, it's stronger than where it was, was before. And he said, well, you know, you're going to wear this cast, and six weeks later, take the cast off. I can do anything with this wrist. It doesn't bother me when the weather changes. Totally fine. But if you got up really, really close, I could show you a scar. And I want to tell you, this is very different than before I got it fixed. Before I got it fixed, it hurt like fire. You know how you know whether you're bitter or not? I can remember that event. I can remember screaming down that mountain. I can remember being really dumb. I can remember going in the woods and breaking my wrist. But you know what? It doesn't hurt me anymore. And when you can remember about that person that hurt you and it doesn't bother you anymore, you've forgiven. But you think of that event and it hurts like fire. Your heart beats faster, your teeth grind. You haven't forgiven yet. And the Bible says if you can't forgive, your prayer life is hindered. Are you going to let that person who really, and we all understand this, right? Forgiveness is never a problem till I have to do it. (laughs) I think forgiveness is a great concept for you. But when I have to forgive, and what do we all say when we have to forgive? It's not fair. Ding, 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 ding. That's the truth of everything you have to forgive. It's not fair. That's why you have to forgive. If it was all even and fair, you don't have to forgive. By the way, aren't you glad God's forgiven you? 
And there's seven great statements from the cross, but one of them is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And God says, if I can forgive you of every sin you've ever done and every sin you ever will do, you need to forgive each other. And some of you need to forgive in a group this size. You know some of you guys, you know, it's interesting, the Bible says, and I gotta watch the time, I'm, going, I'm spending too much time on this. Let me just tell you very quickly. They didn't tell me what time I need to end. Right now, four minutes, all right. Hang with me for four minutes, we're gonna go quick. Guys, two times in the Bible it says, husbands, love your wife and be not bitter against them. You won't find a verse like that to women in the Bible. It seems like men, we're good, we, we can hold a grudge. Some of you guys can't remember where your car keys are and you're remembering something your wife did five years ago. That's dumb. And some of you need to forgive her. Some of you say, man, I can't even remember where I put my car keys and I'm still remembering something from five years ago. You need to forgive. Let's go very quickly to the next one. A poor marriage relationship. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Hebrews, James, 1 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Success in marriage is more than finding the right person, it's being the right person. If you email me, I have 50 questions to ask a wife. I've never had a guy do better than 15 out of 50. If you want to break the record, bring it on. It'd be great. You ask your wife those 50 questions, it will, no one on earth will know her better than you if she answers all 50 of those questions. The Bible says you need to be an expert on your wife. Dwell with your wife in an understanding way. Can you go shopping for your wife and she doesn't have to return anything? You know the color, the size, you know everything about what she wears, what she likes how much sleep she needs, what's her greatest fear. The Bible says, guys, if you're a husband, and it's a unique thing God says here in the Bible, but God says, husbands, if you don't dwell your wife according to knowledge, your prayer life is hindered. Well, there's so much I could say here. Spiritual powerlessness equals male callousness. Your relationship to God is in relationship to your wife. Dr. McLaughlin made this statement. God will become as insensitive to a husband's needs uttered in his prayers as the husband is insensitive to the needs of his wife whispered in his ears, the sighs of an injured wife come between God and the husband, as only Dr. Matt could say. Guys, how the honey-do list at home? Guys, (laughs) it's so crazy flying out here. I've never felt more protected. I had to be on that plane with, half the plane had to be military guys. I was sitting next to guys whose biceps are bigger than my legs. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I was like, Man, I've never, I, I mean, I slept like a baby on my flight from Hawaii to Guam. I'm like, man, there's a bunch of bad dudes on this plane that are here to protect us. I'm, I mean, that's great. I think most of the guys in this room, if someone's to break in your home and take out your wife or your kids, I hope every guy in this room would say over my dead body. There's no way someone's going to come in and hurt my wife or hurt my kids. They come in my home, it's him or me. I'm taking them out. And that's the way it should be. You should do that. But what about when your wife says, hey, honey, could you take out the garbage? Right now? The game's on, honey. Come on. Isn't this weird? Think this through with me. Most of the men in this room would make the ultimate sacrifice. You say, if someone comes in and tries to kill my wife, it's him or me. Let's all be honest. How often is that going to happen? Probably never. So every guy in this room says, for something that'll never happen, sign me up. I'll sacrifice for her. But the everyday sacrifices I have to make, are you kidding me? Take the gut, you know, get all my clothes in the hamper, come on. 
It bounced off the rim. That was close. Did you ever have your wife come to you and say, I am not your mother? Well, when she tells you that, you need to dwell with her according to knowledge. How's the honey-do list at home? You getting those things off the list done? Have the light bulb go out in the refrigerator? She says, hey, honey, the light bulb's out in the refrigerator. Say, hey, honey, I'll take care of it. And she learns Braille before you put a new light bulb in there. (laughs) She can reach in and find anything in the dark. And then she has the nerve to ask about it. Three months later, hey, honey, are you going to change the light bulb? Told you I was going to do it. That's nice. That was three months ago. (laughs) And we can laugh tonight, but you know who God says your prayers hindered? You treat your wife like that, God says your prayer life's hindered. You say, man, how come God isn't answering my prayers? How How are you treating your wife tonight if you're a married man? It matters to God, and and he couldn't put it more clearly at the end of this verse. He says, you don't treat your wife right, your prayers will be hindered. I didn't put that in the Bible last night. Guys, if your marriage isn't what it should be, if you're not the husband, God says you should be. And what did I tell you tonight when I started? What's the other thing that I need to come forward if I know the message is on? Being a husband. Some of you are workaholics. I can tend to be in that category. You know how often I did lots of marriage counseling. You know how often a wife came in and said, I don't feel loved? And I heard this all the time from men. Well, I love her. And I'd say, well, well, how do you show that? You know what the husband would say? I provide for her. Newsflash, she can do that on her own. She didn't get married so you could provide for her. She married you for a relationship. And when you're too busy providing for her that you have no relationship with her, you're kind of like Martha and Mary, right? Martha was doing lots of stuff. You know what Jesus said? I want you to spend some time with me. And God says, you provide for her, but she doesn't feel loved. I want to challenge you. There should be two people in the world that know you love your wife, her and everyone else. You should have someone ask your wife, does your husband love you? And you know what? If she could answer honestly, she should always say yes. If she can't say yes, there's a problem. And everyone else should say, man, you see the way he treats his wife? Man, that guy's nuts about her. Someone said, when you see a husband open the door for his wife, either the wife or the car is new. That's not the way it should be. (laughs) Right? You should do that all the time. Let me encourage you tonight. Husbands, are you the husband that God says you should be? And I would challenge you that if you're not, you probably are feeling that right now. And, you, and it's, it's not fun. I've used some humorous illustrations, but if your marriage isn't right tonight because you're not the husband you should be, both you and your wife know it. Could I ask you tonight, are you going to give up a dynamic prayer life because you're unwilling to be the husband God wants you to be? Or would you go home to your wife tonight and say, honey, God spoke to me. I'm sorry. You know who else is a great forgiver besides God? Wives are great forgivers. And if you would go home and say, you know what? God spoke to me tonight. Honey, I'm sorry. I want to change. You'd be shocked how many wives would go, man, that's great. Let's do it. And God says, if you do that, you start having a dynamic prayer life. 
And we'll just give you the last two notes. We're out of time. Vain or unthinking repetition, Matthew 6, 7. You know, he, he says, if, in fact, let's just read that. This will be the last scripture we'll read. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their much speaking. We pick on the Catholics for the rosary. And, and that's not right. That's what the rosary is. It's saying how many Hail Marys and how many Our Fathers. And if we say 50 Hail Marys and 40 Our Fathers, that somehow God would answer that prayer. And the Bible's very clear. You use vain repetition. I'm not listening. But I would say how many Baptists do the same thing? How many times do we say, God bless this food in my body? I bet you say it thousands of times. Do any of you know what that means tonight? God bless this food in my body. Does that mean God make me fatter? You know? I like what Tim Hawkins says. You know, God... <laughs> Hopefully this prayer makes up for my bad choices. Turn this carrot stick into a Cheeto on the way down or the other way around, you know. And God bless this food to my body. How many times do you, do you say, I mean, if you said the same thing over and over again, coming back to skiing, when I was in high school, I grew up in northern Minnesota, I wiped out. I mean, I, moguls are a hill on a hill. I know a lot of you don't know anything about downhill skiing, but there's a hill on a hill and they rate, when you go skiing, they tell you what the hill is like. So if you see a green circle, it means it's, it's the easy, it's super easy. And then they have a, black, uh, a blue box. A blue box means it's intermediate. And then they have a black diamond, which means this is very dangerous, only a highly skilled person. And then they have a double black diamond, which means you might see Jesus. All right, that's, <laughs> it's very bad. And so I came down in a double black diamond, which is hills on a hill, and in Minnesota, they made snow, which is bad, because it becomes ice. And if you're going on a double black diamond and a mogul, you need snow to cut. And so I went on my first cut sideways to cut in between these hills on a hill, but when it's solid ice, instead of cutting, I launched. So I went on my first thing, and it didn't cut, I launched. And then when you're going that steep, that fast... I came down and I launched a second time. You, it's too fast. You, you, you're going this steep down and I'm launching. On the third launch, I'm looking down on people like I'm in a hot air balloon. I mean, it's terrible. And I crashed. Parts went everywhere. My friends said, what do you, I started walking down the hill. They said, what are you doing? Put your stuff on. I got all my stuff on. I said, did I wipe out or what? Oh, Jim, crazy wipeout. I got to the bottom of the hill. Did I wipe out or what? Oh, crazy wipeout, Jim. We start going up the hill. Did I wipe out or what? Crazy wipe. I got to the top of the hill. Did I wipe out or what? Let's go see ski patrol. And I had a second degree concussion. You know what everyone knows when you say the same thing in the same tone of voice over and over and over again? Every one of your friends will go, something's wrong. And yet for some of you, that's your prayer life. You pray the same words, the same tone of voice, the same thing to God, and God tells you in this verse, I don't listen to vain repetition. Talk to me like you talk to a friend. Just talk to me. Everyone else would go, something's wrong. You keep saying the same thing over, and you have a secondary concussion. God says, you talk to him like that, something's wrong. And lastly, we must have faith. James 1, 5 to 8. We must have faith. You can look those verses up. 